Nadine. This is John. This is Dan. And this is She's Not a Slut Yet. This is a podcast about three friends watching cult movies and drinking together. This week we'll be reviewing Nadine's... No, I don't know why I do that. Why don't I just put my fucking me? I'm the one doing the announcements. This this (laughs) week we'll be reviewing Nadine's list pick. Which is fucking me. Black Christmas, which is a non-list pick. Nadine's non-list pick, John. You did it again. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Which was released in 1974. Just announcement, reminder, we will be taking time off for the whole month of January. We'll be back in February for Dan's birthday month. So, Dan, do you want to start us off with some not really making sense box office stats? I wonder Dan's so fucking weird. He was born in February. (laughs) I got no idea what's wrong with February. But for this movie, it had a $620,000 budget and had a box office production of $4.1 So pretty hefty there for a small movie. Uh, it won three awards and had two nominations. It has 7.2 stars in IMDb, 71% Rotten Tomatoes for the critics, and then 75% audience score. So I just wanted to put it out there. I looked up all that information up, and I couldn't find anything else for the box office. There is, I don't know if it's like necessarily a remake or if it's a sequel. I think it's more of a remake of this movie. And I, I know it was a Canadian movie, so I don't, I don't know if, if that fact Yeah, you can anywhere. fucking tell by their accents. The entire okay. movie was like, eh. But... That 4.1 million, I'm not sure if it's actually for the 1974 movie. It was listed underneath the 1974 movie when I looked it up. But because of the remake of it, which wasn't done in 2013, that could be completely off. Just as a heads up. No, you're right. I did a quick Google and it says it's 4.1 million. All right. So let's go on an interesting movie fact. So NBC scheduled this film for its primetime network debut on January 28, 1978, under this title, Stranger in the House. On January 15, 1978, two female students at Florida State University were murdered by an assailant who broke into the sorority house where they live. Now, if any of you guys are true crime lovers, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about as I read forward. Three other young women in the immediate vicinity were attacked and assaulted, NBC received numerous pleas from the locals to pull the movie from broadcast in light of the crimes. And after first stating that they would offer the local affiliates an alternative movie to broadcast, they decided to just pull the plug in the movie altogether. The perpetrator of the crimes at Florida State University was later identified as the serial killer, Ted Bundy. So this film is regarded as being one of the first slasher films ever to be created. In 1986, Olivia Hussey met producers for the film Roxanne which was done in 1987, since they were interested in casting her for the title role. Roxanne co-star Steve Martin met her and said, oh my God, Olivia, you were in one of my all-time favorite films, thinking it was Romeo and Juliet from 1968. Olivia was surprised to find out it was actually Black Christmas from 1974. Martin claimed he had seen it around 27 times. Also, just so you guys know, the girl who plays Barb, the drunk one, she was Lois Lane in the original Superman's. Yeah, yeah, I, I picked that up pretty fucking quickly. I thought I recognized the Jess girl from somewhere, and I think because I watched that Romeo and Juliet version in, like, high school or something, but... Damn, you were born in the 1970s? No, just in high school, we watched... You know, they played the Romeo and Juliet <laughs> Anyway, so Black Christmas was allegedly inspired by some real-life murderers that occurred in Montreal, Quebec, and Canada during the holiday season. This is most likely based on Canadian serial killer... Wayne Bowden, who killed three women in Montreal between October 1969 and January 1970. His fourth known victim was murdered in Calgary, Alberta in May of 1971. Bowden was known as the Vampire Rapist. So the audio for the demented phone calls was edited into the film during post-production. 
but while shooting the footage for the phone call scenes, the actresses were actually just reacting to threatening dialogue being spoken from director Bob Clark from off camera. I, I really want to know what the man was saying, honestly. I really hope he didn't actually, like, say some of the stuff, and they're like, you know, we should keep those words in, but mutate it. Because some of the stuff said on that phone was fucking... T- ugh, ugh, terrible. I thought it was funny. What do you mean it was funny? <laughs> oh, I want to lick your tight little baby blank, you know? Like, what the... F- I don't know. I thought I, that was funny. Bro, you're the type of person that gets prank calls. Like, I'm in your closet. I have an axe. I'm about to kill you. You're like, <laughs> I, I, yeah. I guess I just watched too much, like, Beavis and Butthead as a kid. But, like, hello. It's just like... Oh, my Google God. You grew up on that. Okay. Anyway, so during an interview with director Bob Clark said Olivia Hussey's decision to take the role of Jess was based upon advice given to her by a psychic. So, you know, great choice for her career. A novelization of the film written by Lee Hayes was published in 1976, which offered more insight into the characters and more plot and development. The book is rare, however, as it has since gone out of print. The film game Olivia Hussey and Margot Kidder recognition as Scream Queens. The film managed to gross four million fifty-three thousand on a relatively small budget of six hundred twenty thousand at the box office. By today's standards, those numbers would be twenty-one million dollar gross on a three million dollar budget, which would mean that the film grossed six point five times its budget, turning in a profit. Barbara Cord was intended to be a bisexual woman. I actually saw a lot of hints of that in this movie. So did I. It was actually pretty. It was very, very noticeable. So anyway, uh, it was intended to be by a sexual woman, as seen by a scene when she is talking about her past boyfriends and looking at Playboy magazines. The film setting of Bedford is an intentional homage to another Christmas film classic called "It's a Wonderful Life" (1946), which is really fucked up to be putting that movie as like an homage with this. It's supposed to be like a really nice film. It makes you have the feels, and it's kind of sweet at certain points, and it ends really nice and sweetly, and this movie's like, murder. <laughs> All murder. Anyway, Billy's erratic phone calls made after each murder seems almost eerily similar to a serial killer named Paul Michael Stephanie's action. Stephanie is known as the weepy voice killer, and the moniker was developed due to his habit of calling the police after committing his crimes to confess. His and Billy's ramblings are similar, as they were confusing and disorienting, with changes in the voices meaning that they could not be properly identified. However, unlike Billy, Stephanie was not vulgar in his calls and was confessing to his murders, which is actually really true. You can find these recordings online. I am good. I will never listen to those, and they will stay dead to me for the rest of my life. Anyway, you can find them online if you so choose. Basically, in these recordings, I've heard a few myself. It's almost impossible to understand what the guy is actually saying. He is crying through it. He's saying, oh, please, God, help me. I did it again. Why won't you stop me? Please, God, come stop me. And when they keep asking him, like, hey, where are you? What do you want us to stop? Why don't you tell us where you are? He doesn't actually answer the questions in that, just kind of like Billy does in the movie. He keeps kind of saying the same thing while he's screaming and crying and changing his voice around, and then eventually he'll just hang up. So yeah, very similar. He's just not vulgar, honestly. He just, he cries and and begs for someone to stop him. So as a strict rule that Clark had set for himself when it came to writing the female characters was to never objectify them sexually or give them nude scenes. He wanted the college girls to come off as real people and not disposable horror characters waiting to die, which I do appreciate because in most horror movies, women are usually just objectified or seen as side characters that are disposable. And then they have like the final girl who is 
the only one who seems to be moral or not taking over. Oh, you mean the one that got away with murder? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think technically she died at the end of this movie. So movie synopsis. Go ahead, John. Oh, lordy. Here we go. All right. The movie begins with a shot of the sorority house and Christmas music playing in the background. The camera then moves as if someone is walking closer to the sorority house after a girl walks in the house. The camera then moves to the side of the house and someone climbs up a trellis to get into the house. The scene then shifts inside the sorority house to show the girls partying with a few friends. One of the girls, Barb, gets a call from her mom and as Barb talks with her, the man who snuck into the house watches her. After Barb disconnects with her mom, she invites some of the other girls to go skiing with her as her mother has ditched her for a new boyfriend. A few of the girls accept the invite as the phone rings again. Another sorority girl named Jess goes to answer the phone and screams to the other girls that the moaner is calling again. The girls all gather around and listen to the disturbing call. At the end, Barb grabs the phone and tells the guy off, and the guy says he will kill her and hangs up. Claire and Barb then get into an argument on how Barb handled the call, and Claire eventually leaves the pack by herself in her room. After Claire leaves the pack, the sorority house mother, Mrs. Mack, bangs on the door to get help inside. As Mrs. Mack shows the girl her loot from shopping, Claire hears meowing from her closet and goes to investigate. When she calls out to see who is there, a man jumps out behind plastic garment bag and strangles her with them. He then quietly takes her body to the attic as the girls downstairs continues to be distracted by Mrs. Mack. After the girls are done talking to Mrs. Mack, they all head up to bed and Mrs. Mack starts going through her stashes of booze. Just as Mrs. Mack starts drinking, the phone rings and Jess talks to her boyfriend, Peter, about meeting the next day to talk. Jess then goes upstairs to check on Claire and, when there's no answer, decides to go to bed. The scene then switches to show Claire dead with a bag over her head as someone sings the next day, Claire's father is waiting for her outside the fraternity with the sorority is having Santa visit at. When she doesn't show up, he stops a young man entering the fraternity and asks if he knows his daughter. The young man then directs Mr. Harrison to the sorority house she is staying at. Once she arrives at the sorority house, Mr. Harrison finds that no one there really knows where his daughter is either. Mrs. Mack then tells him she's probably at the fraternity house and has him drop her off at a store on the way. The scene then switches to Jess, telling her boyfriend that she is pregnant and she's planning on getting an abortion. Peter does not agree with the idea at all and tries to convince and guilt her into keeping the child. Frustrated that Peter will not listen to her, Jess leaves just as he tells her he will see her tonight at the sorority house. Mr. Harrison then goes back to the fraternity house and calls his wife about their daughter's whereabouts. He tells her everything is fine and that he is talking to Claire's friend Barb and that if she doesn't show tonight he will go to the police. Back at the sorority house, Jess gets another call from the moaner, and this time it's not just a man saying nasty things, but multiple voices asking where the baby Agnes is. Disgusted, also a little frightened from the call, Jess says they have the wrong number and just hangs up. The scene then shifts to show Barb, Phyllis, and Mr. Harrison reporting Claire's disappearance. The man behind the counter, Sergeant Nash, does not seem convinced that Claire is actually missing, and just hands the form to her father to fill out, and asks for the number of the sorority house. Barb then gives a false number as a joke to Sergeant Nash, and he takes it. The scene then shifts to show Jess asking Chris, Claire's boyfriend, if he had seen her, and he tells her no. Jess then tells him that her father went to the police to report her missing and that it wasn't being taken seriously. Pissed, Chris leaves the hockey practice with Jess to confront Sergeant Nash and makes enough of a commotion to gain the attention of Sergeant Kenneth. 
When Kenneth finds out Claire is missing, he takes it seriously, as he just got a report that a 13-year-old girl is also missing. That night, Jess, Chris, and Phyllis inform Mr. Harrison that there's going to be a search party for the missing young girl as well as Claire. The four then leave Mrs. Mack and Barb behind at the house as they go to enjoin the search for their friend. As the four are searching, Mrs. Mack packs her bags for her sisters when she hears meowing in the attic. Thinking it's her cat, Cloud, Mrs. Mack goes upstairs to find him, or look for him, but instead ends up finding Claire's body strapped to a chair. Just as she's about to leave, she hears someone behind her and turns around to find a hook flying to her face. After killing Mrs. Mack and pulling her up into the attic, and then watching her cab leave, the killer begins to wail loudly and destroy the attic, which really made me feel uncomfortable. The scene then switches back to the search party as Jess leaves to see Peter. After Jess leaves, the girl in the search party finds the missing 13-year-old's body. As Jess arrives at the sorority house, the moaner calls again. Jess is freaked out from the call and goes to look for Mrs. Mack, and when she doesn't find her, decides to call the police to report the calls the sorority has been receiving. As she calls them, Peter comes down the stairs to meet her. When Jess hangs up, Peter tells Jess he is quitting college and wants to marry her. Jess turns him down and Peter decides to ask about the baby again. At the police station, Mr. Harrison hears the report Jess calls him and sees the report isn't being taken seriously. He then takes it to Lieutenant Kenneth, so the calls can be tied to his daughter's missing case. The scene then switches back to the sorority house after Peter threatens Jess for her wanting to get an abortion. Jess kicks him out just as the lieutenant arrives with Chris and Phyllis. The lieutenant then has a wiretap put on one line of the house that calls are coming to so they can track the calls. Just before they leave, the lieutenant assures the girls will be safe and has one of his men stationed outside the house. Later that night, the killer visits Barb in her room and gives her an asthma attack that alerts Jess. The killer then hides as Jess sits with Barb until she goes back to bed. When Jess goes back down the stairs, carolers are singing out front, hiding the sound of the killer sneaking back into Barb's room. The killer then stabs Barb to death with her glass unicorn statue. After killing Barb, the killer calls the sorority house again and Jess picks up, but isn't able to keep him on the line for long. The lieutenant calls to let her know he has to stay on the line longer to wiretap him. After disconnecting with the lieutenant, tells Phil the caller might be Peter, as the man on their phone repeated verbatim what Peter had said to her tonight. Peter, of course, immediately after this conversation, begs Jess not to kill the baby. Of course, Lieutenant heard this call, too, and now suspects that Peter is also the killer. After the phone call and another interruption from searchers outside, Phyllis goes to check on Barb and sees someone behind the door just before it slams shut behind her. Jess, unaware that Phil is in danger, locks all the doors and windows of the house after realizing that only one of the doors are locked. The house then gets another call from the moaner, and this time Jess was able to keep him on the line long enough for the call to be traced. The lieutenant figures out that the killer is actually inside the house and using the other phone line to call the girls. Knowing they are in danger, the lieutenant instructs Nash to call the house as he rushes to get her. Nash, of course, upsets Jess by telling her the killer is in the house, and Jess goes to see if Phyllis and Barb are still alive. When in the room, she hears the killer behind the door and slams the door into him with that weird, creepy eye scene so she can try and get out of the house. When the front door won't open from swelling, Jess grabs a fire poker and locks herself in the basement just as the killer is about to reach her. After a few minutes of slamming against the door, the killer stops and everything goes quiet, until Jess suddenly hears Peter talking through her to the basement window. 
Peter tries to get Jess to come to him, and when she won't, he breaks the glass in the door and climbs in. As he approaches, Jess backs into a corner holding the poker tighter to her chest. The scene then switches to show the police arriving to the house and breaking down the door to the basement. Once down there, they find an unconscious Jess and a dead Peter. After finding Jess, the police find the bodies of Barb and Phil and set Jess up in a room to rest. Mr. Harrison collapses as he sits with Jess and realizes that his daughter was never found, and everyone rushes out to take Mr. Harrison to the hospital, leaving Jess alone without ever searching the attic. After everyone leaves, the scene shifts to the killer singing and talking to himself as he leaves the attic. The movie ends with a phone ringing in the house as a cop smokes a cigarette outside. Can I just casually mention Nadine, right? Before we really go deep diving into this. Yeah. Why is it that every fucking creepy ass person in every fucking movie wears a goddamn turtleneck? I don't know. Why? Is this like a trend? Like you've noticed this, right? I have actually noticed that. They wear turtlenecks. It's like it's like they're trying to seem artistic so they don't seem creepy, but it just makes them more creepy like fedoras do. It's just fucking gross. Wait, are, are you talking about Peter or like what, what character are you talking about as a turtleneck? Peter. The entire movie has a green okay. turtleneck on. Gotcha. Because I, I didn't think you ever saw the actual killer, did you? Not entirely, no. Okay. Just his eyeball at the one scene. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he was wearing a turtleneck. I, I'll be honest, the entire fucking point of the movie and the fact that he was talking about baby Agnes and all this other weird shit and the fact there's a dead 13-year-old outside kind of just hints to the fact that you'll never fucking find out who it was and that's the literal point of the movie. Yeah. I mean... I don't think that's the point of the movie. I think that's no. just what makes it more creepier than if it was Peter. Like, Right. I mean, I think the whole point of the movie, well, no, I shouldn't say the whole point of the movie because like, it's not really the whole point of the movie, but I think part of the movie is basically showing serial killers. You got to remember at this time, serial killers were like just, like not that there's no serial killers now. There is. They just caught one recently, I think a couple weeks ago. And it's a current one. But anyway, it's the 70s was a wild time, guys. <laughs> This movie is a perfect example of how they dealt with serial killers in the 70s. I'm not even kidding. Like, especially the end scene where they left Jess in her bedroom instead of taking her ass to the hospital to get inspected to make sure she's okay in a house alone where a serial killer is in with never actually going through the entire house to check to see if there was anyone else Oh, yeah. You know? One of the things about this movie that really fucked me up is, like, check on your friends, right? It doesn't take that much. If someone doesn't respond or make some form of an answer when you're like, hey, are you doing okay? Just fucking silence. Check on them. Nine times right. out, of out of ten in a fucking movie situation, they're fucking dead. So check on them. Like, I don't understand. Like, the entire plot of the movie would have ended if you just checked to see if where they were. Basically, this movie is a great example of how it went down in the 70s for serial killers. Next topic. <laughs> Okay, so to start and preface this, before I actually go really into this movie, um, one of the things I want to have everyone know is that I hate horror movies with a passion. I don't everyone like them that. to begin with. Everyone knows that. It's not a story. So, <laughs> we've made that very clear. Yep. I know, but I want to re-preface this because people might be shocked as how much I hate this movie. But... I wanted to start out with one of the things I most hated, which is actually probably one of the things that Nadine most liked about this movie. And that is the phone calls. How the phone calls 
created an environment for this movie, almost like a persona for the killer, yet at the same time was fucking creepy for us to listen to, weird for everyone involved, yet really tied everything together. If you think about it, the phone calls and the guy speaking like the pencil SpongeBob dude and how he spoke, like just weird babbling gave this movie context that it really kind of needed because without the phone calls, I don't think this movie would have been the same. I think it gave it a lot more creepiness factor to it, but I really do think they used, I don't I don't want to say the popularity, but the surgeons of serial killers and there are certain personality traits and things that, you know, that were coming out from every single time they would catch them into those phone calls. And I think they did a good job with that, honestly. Yeah, they really did. It made me feel completely sick to my stomach. And I didn't really want to listen to anymore immediately after the first 10 minutes of the movie. <laughs> so it did very good in a horror context. Yeah, that's literally like the director's intention to convey through those phone calls is to make this like unnerving sense that someone's watching and you hear them talking to you, you can interact with them, but you don't know where they are. Right. Or what their intentions are. And it's funny because we're watching it now and we have cell phones and things like that. This movie is based in 1974. So while I'm watching, I'm like, oh yeah, it makes total sense. The killer's in the house. He's calling from inside the house because, you know, cell phones. Well, no, no cell phones. I had to be like, oh, wait, sorry, this is the 1970s that we're watching through. The fact that they had two different phone lines is the only reason why this is possible for him to do. How many fucking houses in the 1970s had multiple phone a lines? A single even had a phone line, let alone two of them. Well, they all had phone lines. I'm sorry. Yeah, like a, a sorority house in like a big university will probably have two phone lines. Right. Like that's not. But like, I never even thought of that when I was watching the movie. I'm like, nope, tracks, cell phones. And I'm like, wait a second, this is 1970s. <laughs> like it's, you have to and, like. And the fact that you had oh, to Oh, I like... thought they had a fucking phone line in their attic. Like I legit thought that. Because this dude literally fucking lived up there. How long was the timeline of this movie? A day? A day and a half? Maybe two days? I think it was like two days it was the time of this movie but technically speaking those phone calls were coming well before then but i think before then he was calling from outside the house obviously because he more than likely killed that girl that 13 year old girl in the park and then when he was in the house i think he was making all his calls from his max room because she was the only one in the house that had uh, her own specific phone line that was separate from the rest of the house yeah, and I loved how they, like, needed to have the killer on the phone for a certain amount of time before the, the police could actually Oh, track. yeah, before they could track the phone yeah. calls, because they actually had to actively and manually track <laughs> it, rather than have a program do it instantly. There's this, this guy running through, like, that hall of, I guess, the, the phone connection lines <laughs> to figure out where the actual line was coming from. Yeah, that was so ridiculous. But yeah. at the same time, that's the 1970s, I guess. Yeah, it was literally a wiretap when they were tapping your phone. It's weird to say it because we sound like we're idiot, like yuppies who like haven't lived long enough. But really, it's crazy to say we definitely lived during a time when we had phones that were stuck to the wall. that came through the line of the house. And now we're living during a time where no one really has a home phone. Everyone has cell phones. And it's crazy how much that has actually taken over to the point where you're watching a movie that is from 1974. And your mind is like, yeah. That makes sense that he's calling from inside the house. Cell phones. Do you know Actually, what I mean? Like, <laughs> I have a question for you, John. Do, do you remember before you had to type in the area code? Oh, my God. Uh, do for you? For phone calls? Yeah. For phone calls. Yeah. What do you mean? 
when you before you had to type in the area code? Yeah. No, yeah. I've always typed in the area code when I made phone calls, but I didn't have a phone till I was seventeen. <laughs> no. Dude. Yeah, when I was a kid, like phone numbers were only seven digits. That was it. Yeah, when I was even. I'm sorry, but there's not only a million people in the world that had a fucking cell phone, dude. Okay. I I know, but it's just funny. It's same thing for me. When I was in high school, it was seven digits. That's how you called people. And there were cell phones when I was in high school. It didn't happen, I think, until after I graduated Wait, when I was in college. I have this foggy memory of that. Where, you know, you could call someone with seven digits and would automatically call the person with that number in your region. I forgot about that. You're right. I used to have to ask my parents what our area code was. You know, one day it's going to get so bad, we're going to need an area code before we type 911. I don't think that's possible. All right, moving on. (laughs) (laughs) I know. It's it's a stupid joke. Leave me alone. All right, all right, all right. So do you want to go on to the ridiculousness of this movie? Do you want to hit more on the serial killer aspect of this movie? Do you want to hit... I actually want to... Because we've watched so many movies at this point, um, I want to... Sort of talk about the things that stick out and not what was just ridiculous. Because let's be fucking real. Every single movie we've watched so far has been just ridiculous, right? There's never been a serious, you know, this is a this is a fun movie to watch, blah, blah, blah. But it wasn't too... No, every single movie has something stupidly unique about it, right? So I, I really want to focus on the serial killer in light of one of the things that, you know, people will probably notice and get angry about if they watch this movie with without really knowing what it's about, like me. And that is, the fact that the serial killer is hinted at, you get a shape of the hair. You get an idea of who they are, right? But you never truly know who they are. Ever. And then when it's presumed to be Peter at the end, right? Suddenly the serial killer's walking away. And there's a clear scene of, you know, him still being alive. So... It adds to that weird, creepy aspect of just having some random dude in your attic killing every single person in the house one by one or trying to and then getting away fucking scot-free. And that's cool. Like, that part of the horror film really was like... Honestly, if they said at the end it was Peter, it would lose all the horror aspects to it, right? Because it would be so obvious. But they killed Peter, who, by the way, deserved to die anyways... They killed Peter, and then there's a serial killer still alive, and nobody thought the wiser. You know, they're like, oh, whatever. You know, it was Peter. Let's move on. He was a douchebag anyways. Dude, I think that's a, a very effective strategy of most horror movies. Well, most horror movies, you know who the killer is. Ah, uh, well, you do. You know who the killer isn't. And you kind of, like, propose theories to who it actually is. I think this movie kind of does that, but I think the whole time, you know, it's someone unrelated to any characters you see. I think that's the whole point of it. You're not supposed to know who the killer is because most of the time, if they are, in fact, a serial killer, they are not someone that you know. BTK, he he was an ADT guy. He was a virtual stranger for these people. He would set up their systems and come back in. Do you really think people knew who Ted Bundy was when he was killing them? No, he would charm them because he was handsome and he would get them to come with him and he would kill them the hillside stranglers there was a couple victims that they did know and that ended up fucking them in the end but most of the victims didn't know them at all they just picked them up it was random so if it's a killer and an actual serial killer who's just killing for whatever the sick twisted reason there is whether it be 
they were made that way, how they grew up, what you get hints of through the phone calls and all that stuff makes sense that you would never know who it is. And it makes it that much harder to figure out who the, the killer actually is because they're not connected. There is no really modus operandi for these killers, except for they have this need to kill and they want to do it in a specific way. And this person just happens to catch their eye. That's honestly very, very true. That is a good way of looking at it. But, you know, in, in light of all the other horror movies that you've probably seen, you know, there's a lot of times during this movie, in retrospect, where you have to kind of keep that in mind, too, is that this is the first movie of its genre. To me, this movie was just a movie full of cliches, boring, you know, there wasn't really anything new to it. But when this came out, coming up on 50 years ago, right, 47-something years ago, or however fucking long it's been, 44, I don't know, whatever, time, um... You have to kind of keep in mind that this is the first movie of its type. So seeing this in theaters in the 1970s must have been a fucking mind trip. Because you were like, you'd watch all these horror movies, you know exactly who they are, you get the classic scream of a person being killed, you get all of the action, and you know exactly who it was at the end, or you know who the person is at the beginning, and then they just go on a killing spree, and then it's just murder party from there, right? But actually not knowing who it is, getting all of these weird tropes, like classic death scenes that are actually kind of chilling, and things like that must have been an entirely unique experience back then. Unfortunately, being the person that was exposed to a lot of horror movies now, I hated it. But, you know, back then it must have been entirely refreshing. So I don't think it's technically the first of its kind, but it is definitely one of the first of a kind. And it wasn't released in theaters, which is why there's not that many box office stats. It was this TV release for NBC, which is the reason why they wanted it to not be shown. I think it wasn't even just refreshing at the time, because it may have been something that might have been refreshing if it wasn't released at the time that it was released. Like I said, the serial killers in the 70s, people were in fear all the time. I could just bring up a fucking list killers from yeah, she's scrolling 70s <laughs> yeah i'm not yeah. gonna pretend to be like a horror history buff but i didn't think it was the first of its kind but i know it did kind of inspire a lot of 80s 90s horror movies the one thing i did want to say about this movie is that it does hold up pretty well for a, a 70s movie i will say it does you know this movie didn't i mean it definitely felt like it was in the 70s but at the same time it really didn't and i think that part of that's the canadian aspect Everything is just refreshing when they're Canadian. Like, dude, he was so polite <laughs> and so nervous to interrupt their day, the murderer, that instead of actually knocking on the door and asking for a phone, he went upstairs and stole their phone instead. He climbed into their house and stole the their phone and said, I'll just deal with it later. Yeah. I guess so. <laughs> it's just Canadian people. So they're so polite. Instead of hanging up the phone in fear and being like, why are you talking to me? Hang up. They want him to finish talking. At least let him say what he has to say, you know? And then they'll hang out. <laughs> yeah, if this were, if this were happening today, like as soon as you would see the number, you'd be like, "All right, fuck this shit." Yeah, you'd be like, "Okay, moving on." Anyways, yeah, it's like how many times did I get a call? And it's like, "Hey, by the way, your car's up for a uh, your car has an extended warranty." <laughs> it's Please, like, and it's just like, no, like, nope. Get ready. So this is the serial killers slash killers because the Manson family wasn't really serial killers. So it's the Manson family. Technically speaking, he was not a serial killer. Manson himself, he actually never killed anyone, but his followers totally did. They had the Zodiac Killer, 
John Wayne Gacy, Ted Bundy, Son of Sam, Hillside Stranglers, Jim Jones. There's more that come out in the 80s. <laughs> Speak of the 70s as a time rip for uh, serial killers. Just right, but that's what I'm saying. I think this movie is basically just a mirror of the time that they were in. It wasn't something that was refreshing, like John said. I think it's basically just what they were experiencing yeah. every day, and they decided to make a movie out of it. Yeah, it's, it's playing into the fears of the times. Pretty much, yeah. And it became terrifying but fascinating to people because something like this not never happened before, but probably not to the degree or the amount that it had happened at that time, even up to the 2000s, honestly, the amount mm -hmm. of serial killers that had popped up. Like, it was not something that you had seen before. And I think if you're a horror fan, maybe you were doing this and you're like, oh, this is wholly new. But for the general populace, I do not think that was the case. I do not think they were watching it and being like, oh, this is refreshing. This is not like the same old horror. It was probably just mirroring what was going on at the time. That's true. Yeah. Oh, no, to me, it's... I'm trying to find good things about this, right? And not to be a Debbie Downer, because for me, seeing stuff like this in a movie that is, in reality, close to 50 years old is remarkable. Because most of the horror movies and stuff I've watched, typically of the slasher variant, because let's be honest, that's the most common type of horror movie nowadays, or it used to be, not nowadays, but typically the slasher really? variant, where people just get killed nonsensically. All of them to me were garbage, complete and utter garbage. And to see the granddaddy, grandpappy, grandfather of horror movies kind of done in this fashion is a little bit refreshing to me, although, you know, it has its own problems personally, but it's not like, oh, I chopped someone's finger and now it looks, there's an off-screen shoot of a 10 meters of blood, like, you know what I mean, right? It's right. refreshing. But I guess you're right. And back then, it probably wasn't refreshing, more so terrifying. Yeah. yeah. Personally, I think that's probably what it was. It was more terrifying for them. I mean, don't get me wrong. I like this movie. I really do love my horror movies. I think this movie has a lot of issues, as you said, John. But I think that comes with any horror movie. That's the reason why you watch them. You don't watch them because they're amazing. You watch them because you know they're going to be kind of trashy. And you want to be scared for a moment and make fun of it. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know, because I've watched some actually horrifying stuff that makes you really, really feel like there's something wrong, you know? I don't know what movies they are, because I'm dumb, but I've watched some movies that, like, sit in my brain, in my headspace, and don't leave for weeks on end. I don't think I will ever forget that creepy-ass voice that came through that phone, just like I won't forget the horror movie that was kind of corny, that I watched with one of my ex-girlfriends when I was in high school, but because there was so much blood, it's just stuck in my head and it's horrified me to this day. So, I get that. I really do. But I don't understand the laughing part of it, Nadine. Okay, I'm yeah, going to explain. Let's movie, get into I, it. <laughs> I am ready. <laughs> I am ready. Okay. All these bitches in this movie be dumb. <laughs> be very, very dumb. <laughs> and here's why. Example A. So... When Claire went upstairs to go pack her bag and she went into the closet and took shit out of her closet mm -hmm. and put it in her bag. How the fuck did she not see someone standing in the back of her closet behind the clear plastic garment bags? I saw his face and hand. I didn't see a clear vision of his face and hand, but I saw enough to know there was a bitch there. 
that's why she died. <laughs> she was More dumb importantly, and blind. <laughs> even though she's like suspect that someone might be in the closet, why does she go further into the closet to see right, who's hiding? Right, like, right. Instead oh, of okay, like, that's that classic fucking blonde woman movie trope. Not blonde woman. Where women die. Be, all horror movies. Be, it is all horror movies. Everyone does it because they're a woman. No. Therefore, they have to die. That's the reason. Dudes do it too in horror movies. It's basically a white thing. I don't know if you ever noticed, but it's mostly white people. Dude, I've watched so many movies. There's two types of movies. Not to go on that level where white women die. White guys try to tough it out and and then pick up on the leftover women. And then the black dudes always end up being like a sacrifice that's amazing in some heart-inspiring way. And they're the second one dead. Or they're the first one dead. Or they're the first one dead. Yeah, that's, that's the biggest trope. Yeah, it's the hugest trope. Anyway, and then on top of that, you got to think in the movie when they had that phone call, Jess was talking to Lieutenant Kenneth and Phyllis was sitting in front of her. Find Phyllis right in Jess's line sight. You could see the killer standing outside the fucking door. Like, I could see the shape of a dude, the shadow of a dude. How did she not see that and be like, oh, that was perfect timing. Oh, <laughs> oh <laughs> there's some rando. I don't know who the fuck this is. It's just you, me, and Barb in this house. It's clearly a dude's outline. We should probably get the fuck out of here. That's two. Then when fucking Mrs. Mack, and I love Mrs. Mack. She's fucking awesome. But <laughs> when Mrs. Mack goes in the attic and she looks for her cat, bitch misses a body. She misses a straight up fucking body when she's looking for the cat. Eventually sees it way too late. That should have been the first shit she saw because I'm sorry, dead body. And then... Don't they smell it all? I, With the to... worst possible death face I've ever seen. Because, yeah, you look totally sexy when you die. <laughs> I'm not even going to get into that. But then she doesn't see it. And then instead of running away immediately, like a normal person would probably do. Well, some people probably stand in fear. Bitch hears something behind her. Instead of doing the flight on the fight or flight, turns around to see what it is after she sees a dead body. Like, what are you thinking? I mean, to be fair... In everyday life, people probably do freeze, but I can't imagine anyone turning around after they freeze from being in shock and seeing something after they see that. That's probably the moment that it would click in like, oh, I should probably run now. That's my point. Also, the fucking cops. How are you going to have a scene where you have found two dead bodies and you do not search the entire goddamn house? They left the entire attic alone. Who the fuck does that? Yeah, plot line that is kind of fucking stupid, isn't it? It is. I'm just putting it out there. Bitches in this movie are stupid. So yes, horror movies, they can be scary. They're pretty gruesome. Sometimes they have some really fucked up shit in it. But they have moments like this where you're like, I can see the comedy in this because whoever thought this through did not think this through. <laughs> because <laughs> I was laughing last night when I was watching this movie. Claire was going towards the closet because I'm like, who does that? Who Goes into the closet and doesn't see a man standing behind clear plastic sheeting and then goes back to the closet after she clearly thinks there's someone in the room that she doesn't know. <laughs> yeah, I definitely do think like you're hitting your head with how stupid characters of this it, this movie are. Right. This definitely this started the trope of stupid fucking side characters. I can yeah. already see it. But at least each character had some type of worth to their character. It wasn't just they were made to die. Like, they had something. But even Which then, like, it wasn't good. 
honestly, I do like that aspect of this movie. I mean, besides the fact that you can laugh at how dumb some of the shit that in these movies are, this movie didn't just do jump scares, because I didn't jump once when I watched this movie. It was a creepy scare. It was like a slow burn. It started out, you know, with phone calls. I'll take jump scares over creepy scares, man. I actually really enjoy this, because I think it gives a build to the movie that feels a little bit more natural. The jump scares, don't get me wrong, breaks it up. You have scary moments. You jump. You laugh at yourself. You get back to watching the movie and how dumb the characters are acting inside of it. But then with these ones, it's like a suspense. It kind of builds in you. You feel it more. You get stressed with the characters more. I've had lots of movies that I've watched that are like this where you watch it and the more and more you watch it, nothing is going to happen. But you feel so much stress from wondering when this character is going to die or when something shitty is going to happen to this character that you become more involved and invested. And I enjoy those movies, those horror movies, way more than I enjoy the ones that have the jump scares. No, I I completely agree. Like, I'm not a jump scare fan. I hate being taken out of the movie by, like, jumping or, like, I see a scene in the movie where it's creepy and I'm not not creeped out by the fact that this character is in, like, a darker room. I'm on edge because I know something's about to pop out. Not because I'm scared of it, just because I know it's going to surprise me. Right. I don't like that feeling. But, like, this this does a better job of, like, kind of building up that same anxiety. And if you have that anxiety because you're, like, in the scene with the character, not just like expecting something to happen. Exactly. This movie, I would say is probably because I watched it a couple of times and I've watched the remake was, was horrendous in my personal opinion. No one else go see that. <laughs> I've um, heard a lot. I've actually heard about the remake and how it was one of the worst fucking movies that was made in that time period because they basically deleted all of the good things about the movie only to keep the most rememberable things. They did. I remember going to that movie with my sisters and my cousin, and we were sitting next to a guy who was, like, clearly a horror fan. He did the whole horror movie t-shirt. He had the bag. He had the pants for it. He did the whole, like, dress up like he was dressing up like original character or something like that. And he was watching this movie, and as he was watching this movie, he would crack jokes. And I did not remember the movie nearly as much as I remembered this man's sitting next to us cracking jokes about the movie. In fact, he had the entire goddamn theater laughing because this shit was oh so bad that you couldn't take any of it seriously. I would never watch that movie ever again. It, it was probably worse than Surf Nazis Must Die. I could actually watch Surf Nazis Must Die more than I could watch that movie again. <laughs> I have no knowledge of it, but... Oh, what, Surf Nazis Must Die? Dude, you're the one that chose it. <laughs> oh, yeah, that, that movie I'm fully aware of. You must live with your mistake, you ass. <laughs> I do live with it, and I, and I embrace it every day. But for this movie in particular, it's Good. hard for me to get enveloped by it because I've watched it so many times, but I do remember watching it the first time. Like Dan said, it is one of those things where you get stressed out for these characters because if you're watching it for the first time... Or sometimes even if it's been a while since you've seen the movie, you forget what's going to happen to these characters. And so you get stressed like, okay, why are you going upstairs? Don't check on her. You know, like the killer's in the room. He's going to murder you. And it's creepy. It builds. It doesn't start small. It builds to a much heavier thing. Like Blair Witch Project. When we watched that. It was the same kind of concept. They built it. Okay. Okay. Time out. Time out. The difference between Blair Witch Project and this is that the Blair Witch Project actually involved a lot, and I mean a lot, of creativity because they didn't have the budget. 
They had the budget here. They had all the range they wanted to. The Blair Witch Project literally felt like a documentary, so it felt real. There was nothing real about this. Obviously, there was nothing real about it. But what I'm saying is it's not the same exact kind of movie, but it's the same feel when you're watching it for the first time, where you're getting that build to the movie. They have the creepiness that comes into it, and you start to feel stressed for the people that you're watching into the movie like a really good horror book will do or a really good horror movie will do. And you watch this movie and you start to become enveloped by it. You're not taken out of what you're watching because there's a jump scare in it. You're actually more invested in it because you're watching the movie and you're wondering who's going to die next, what's going to happen. Hopefully your favorite character doesn't die. That kind of thing. You become invested. And I think, not that I don't like jump scares. I actually really do because I like when I jump and I get to laugh at myself a little bit because it does break up the movie but I really, really love movies like this when it builds on it because that suspense is just, I feel like, everything. It makes that movie a league above all other movies. And oh, I think you're not going to like my rating then. In fact, you're going to be so stunned that you're going to be like, what the fuck, John? I'm actually already prepared for like a one for this movie from you, so. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I'm glad that your expectations are pretty low. That's good. Yeah. But I really do think that it makes it much different. There's going to be other horror movies for me, John. I'm really, really sorry there are. And I have... I, I hate you. I do the whole goddamn... Break horror. our friendship, I dare you. I do the whole broad spectrum of horror movies. I really do. But you'll notice the ones that I like the most are ones like Blair Witch Project or like this, where they build the story. And I like it a lot more. Okay. I respect it. Doesn't mean you're right, but I respect it. The one thing I do want to mention about this movie, I, I think it was... Because you're mentioning the budget, like, and there wasn't a lot of creativity, but I think there actually was because you could tell that they made a lot of focus on just camera angles and just like different how they shot different scenes to keep you captivated. It kind of builds suspense, and they kind of play with just like cinematography of how to mm -hmm. how to. Like, I will say the cinematography of this movie actually felt like a normal today yeah. movie because of how well done it was. So that is exactly. one major plus. And I think that's a huge reason why it stands the test of time and it still holds up today. And the other thing is, like, I love the creepy tone of it. Like, the way that they have the one scene where the girls are murdered, where there's carolers outside. It takes that Christmas holiday background, and it's, like, this creepy kind of, like, suspenseful story in the midst of this like, joyful time. And the way they kind of play with those two themes, I guess, I think is awesome. Like that's the I will have to say this did not feel at all anything Christmassy. There was a lot of Christmas stuff in the movie, but it literally just felt like an after effect. Just like they use like the, the Christmas backdrop of the music and the snow. It's kind of just like the events going on outside of the movie. But the story is actually like this really creepy like first story. So it's just kind of like the contrast of those two themes that they play with and make it just it just makes it extra creepy to me. Okay. Yeah, I could totally see that. I don't know. It's just, it definitely did not feel like a Christmas movie whatsoever. Okay. It's hard to get a Christmas movie that is a fucking cult movie. So I just picked a movie that had Christmas in it. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically just the Christmas name. That's it. <laughs> I don't know, but like, I, I just, <laughs> but like, hey, this... I could see if you wanted to have like a, a party before Christmas and have this movie going on in the background. And you're kind of like an anti-Christmas person. Like, this this would be the perfect thing to have in the background. Yeah, John. No, it wouldn't. 
I, I just... I, I, think I wouldn't show this to my worst enemies, let alone my family. All right. So now that we talked about how much we love this movie, how about we talk about the people that we hate? Uh-huh. Okay. I'm just going to start to be frank. Fuck Peter. Fuck Peter. Fuck Peter and everything Fuck that Peter. he is. He is literally what is wrong with this world. <laughs> Peter is the exact representation of what should not be in this planet. The fuck you, I don't have opinions, and uh, fuck your opinion. That type of person. I hate them. I feel like you're supposed to feel sorry for him when he dies at the end. And I was like, I mean, I guess he doesn't deserve to die. But, like, I mean, the world's a little better now. <laughs> to be honest. Out of everybody, like, that's the one person, like, eh, I'm not, I'm not too upset that they died. No. Everybody else, I'm kind of like. Dude, he died as an afterthought. And his character was such bullshit and minor yeah. and so hated. Like, when he died, you're like, okay, well, that's nice. Anyways, what next? Well, so I actually do really like the fact that they try to make him out to be the killer and he ended up not being the killer. I think the whole time, like, the way they set it up was beautiful. Like, you already hated the character, so you were wishing this bitch was gonna die and that he was the killer and that they were gonna find him and he would go to jail or he'd get shot. And the way the horror movies goes, he would get shot. And then he ends up dying you're like, ha, he was the killer. But, like, I've watched this 80 times. I knew he wasn't. But at the end, you see the killer actually in the attic still there and you're like oh okay which by the way the way that they moved the end of the movie it was like an open-ended question but i'm pretty sure jess was murdered just as a heads up i don't know that that's very speculative because the way they portrayed it is that jess was the main character because you got most of the backstory from her right most of her life was actually pulled out so you got all of the interest and all the intrigue on her it would feel a little bit weird if they just purposely went and killed her there was really no such thing as a final girl at this time, to be honest with you in the movies. Final girl is a more of a modern concept where there's a female who's the final survivor. But here's the thing. The killer would usually, I mean, he did his calls before he started killing people, yes. But when he was inside that household, he actually only called them after he murdered them. The first call was when he was in the house announcing that he was there, basically. And then after that, he only called when he killed so the last scene in the movie where you saw him coming out of the attic and he was like singing and talking to himself, you see him literally lift the door up and then you look at the bodies. Like he's literally coming out of the attic to go down into the regular household. And then it pans away to the outside of the house with the cop smoking a cigarette outside and the phone rings, which is supposed to be the sign afterwards that he has killed someone at that point And he's letting them know like the weepy voice killer did. Are you sure it wouldn't just be like a happy little jingle? The fact that he's he literally got it with everything away scot-free? I think it's pretty implied that Jess is the next victim that he's about to kill. And then like that yeah. last scene fading out is... is Yo, the police suck in this movie. You're right. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> well, yeah, like even if they didn't suspect there's a killer there, it's still pretty much an active crime scene. Right. That they just pulled dead bodies from. They just leave her sleeping in her bed. And anyone who's been in an altercation immediately is usually, unless they refuse treatment, required to get go to the hospital to get checked out. But, like, even if they refuse treatment, they're still no longer allowed to be on that household. It's not like we're in the fucking 1800s anymore, you know? Where they would I just love how they brought her to a fucking bed, and they're like, well, you can stay here inside of where you just experienced all this. Right. Get comfortable. Right. I mean, I know therapy wasn't great back then, but Jesus fucking Christ, dude, active crime scene. Maybe you couldn't use the DNA that you would swipe up at the time, but you might have been able to pull fucking fingerprints. Why are you leaving someone without even checking the whole goddamn house first? You left an entire portion of the house untouched. You didn't go up to the fucking attic. 
So what were you thinking? But what's the thought process here? You did not get any evidence. You did not cordon off the house. You pulled the bodies out. You didn't actually put any tags up to say, hey, this is the blood splatter that's going here. Hey, I found maybe I found like a fiber here. Hey, I found a fingerprint here. They didn't dust for shit. They just were like, eh, we saw most of the house. Seems good. Two bodies. Let's leave a bitch in the bed and go. <laughs> the police were nothing more than a plot device in this movie, and it's 100% true. Oh, 100%. 100%. Yeah. Or they were just calling out the police departments at the time. LAPD of the 1970s, I'm on to you. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I know. I think this definitely did make a lot of uh, subtle, like, pokes at, like, society at the time. Oh, for sure. But, no, Peter sucked ass. He was horrible. <laughs> I'm glad he died. Yes. Yeah, I did, too. It's just a shame because this actor ended up being something really, really good. I forget what he played in because his face is so familiar. He's such a good actor and he got such a shitty role. <laughs> he he was in a lot, it looks like. A lot of movies and TV oh, shows. Yeah. yeah. He was in 2000, What a Space Odyssey. Yes, he was. I actually don't think you would know yeah, any of this stuff. What... John, yeah. I don't think you would. Did you yeah. see 2000, What a Space Odyssey, John? No, because that's a cool classic nope. too. He was in that one too. Portrait yeah. in Black. I didn't. I, I like that movie a lot. I'm surprised he was in that. Well, I guess I'm, I shouldn't be surprised. But I didn't even realize he was in that. And I watched that movie. I love that movie. Uh, what about TV shows? I bet you it was a TV show that you've seen him in. I I'm gonna go with no. I can't even imagine you watching any of these either. I how the fuck? That's that's about it. Yeah, I was going to say, like, how the f- where, where, where are you seeing him from? Because none of the movies that I looked at that I was like, oh. I don't know. He just has, like, one of those chiseled jaw lines that's so familiar. Okay, how about this? I list to you a couple of the movies, and you tell me. Like, they, he was in Valley of the Gods. I think, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure that's, like, another cult classic, too. I like that movie a lot. He was in Madam X. He was in Mail Order Bride. He was in... Obviously, 2001 Space Odyssey. He was in The Time Traveler, Fahrenheit 451, the new one. I'm pretty sure he was in the 2018 one. He was in April Flowers. Blind Date, I like that. That was a good one. The Accidental Husband from 2008, which I saw, did not like, wasn't a good movie. Kind of funny, but not great. That'd be the closest thing that I think you might have seen. But a lot of this stuff is older. So kind of pause you, though. Have you noticed that we haven't been talking uh, really, like, a lot about this movie? We've been talking about other things that this movie is in relation to. Like, I don't mean that in a bad way at all. It's just, like, I don't really know what to say other than that kind of shows a little bit about the movie. Well, I mean, to be fair, when I'm talking about, like, when we were talking in the beginning about, like, serial killers and stuff like that, it was in relation to this movie that was basically in relation to how this movie was mirroring probably what people were fearing at the time or thinking about at the time was probably on their minds. Cause there was definitely, even in the 1980s where people were just terrified first time ever, they were really locking their doors. People didn't really lock their doors that much. Sales and guns went up like crazy in the 1980s and the 1970s because of all of this kind of shit before like today, what we do today, what we lock our doors, we lock our windows you know, we have alarm systems and things. I have security cameras as well. Yeah, yeah, that was not the norm. Bitches were never fucking locking their door 
People were going to bed at night with their fucking window open, wide ass open. Not like open with a patch. Oh, I still do that. Okay, yeah. so then you're crazy because most people don't do that. Well, no, because cold air. It's well, nice. so most people use that tabby thing, so they open up the window, but it only goes up to a certain point. You can't open up any further. They weren't even doing that shit back then. There was no like none of it. They didn't do any of it, and you didn't lock your car doors. People could come in and out of your house whenever they wanted to. You know, you didn't have that much fear. This was probably around the time where those kinds of things are really starting to, for the first time, really be thought about. So I feel like this movie really was probably a good mirror of the time. Okay, you cannot, you cannot cause, you can't say this movie was the start of people freaking out. It was things in relation to when this right, movie came out. Right, but that's what I'm out. saying. I think this movie just happened to be there. Yes, it's not that this caused it. This was a reflection of what people's attitude towards Right, life. exactly. When we're talking about this stuff, when we're talking about those serial killers and things that were going on around the time, we're basically saying that this movie is a mirror of probably what was happening at the time and what people were feeling at the time, even towards the police department. I mean, that's a perfect example because they were pretty goddamn incompetent at the time. <laughs> pretty fucking incompetent. Yeah. These, the police got so bashed in this movie. Oh, man. My God. oh, my God. Yeah, um, my friend's missing. I need you. Like... I haven't heard her, and she just suddenly disappeared, and I don't know what's going on. Yeah, okay, that seems nice. Anyways, we have real problems. Like, what the fuck? I, I think my favorite character, other than uh, Miss Mac, is Barb. Yeah, the drunk yeah. one, Lois Lane. You mean Barbara Mac? No, Barb. Barb is Barbara Mac, and then there's Barb. Barb is the one who was drunk all the time, who played Lois Lane in the Superman yeah. movies. Those two were the best. Yes. They were the best. Yes. Okay, well... <laughs> Yeah. She's her personality and her character is just it's everything I love. So yeah, I agree. Absolutely, Dan. I love alcoholics. They're nice. I mean Alrighty. fun to drink with. <laughs> Final comments on this movie before we go over to the next section. Um actually I'll save mine to the end right before we go into uh the rating because I think mine pertains to the rating as well. Dan, do you have any final comments on the movie? Oh, but I think I kind of got everything out that I need to say before I give it any uh, review, but I got nothing else. Okay. Nadine? I love this movie, and it's fantastic, and you're wrong if you think otherwise. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but it's still great. <laughs> okay. Well, let's go into the rating of this movie. All right. I am going to save mine for last, but I will preface the ratings real quick for you guys. I want you guys to know that not only... Did I have a really bad experience when it comes to horror movies, like when I was younger? I personally don't like horror movies. To me, horror movies are an easy way to make money for producers, and they make them really, really quick. They shit them out like bricks building a house so they can make money to fund themselves for other movies. Horror movies are just not... It's, it's not a great genre. There are some really good horror movies, like The Blair Witch Project. I'll never say that was bad, even though I didn't like it. But there's just, there's horror movies out there that shouldn't exist. They're terrible. So to preface that, please don't get mad at my rating because I know everyone will hate it. Uh, Nadine, give me your rating since yours will be the highest. First off, I slap you. What is wrong with you? Horror movies are fantastic. Second Seriously, off. John, you're, you're, you're making enemies. Making enemies. That's fine. Everyone Thank can you. hate me. Well, the, the moment they see my face, they'll forgive me because I'm handsome as fuck. I'm Squidward Handsome Boy, you know? Don't listen to me. Go ahead, Nadine. Give me the fucking rating. So, 
I would say this movie is an eight, between an eight and a half and a nine. Probably an eight and a half. Jesus Christ. I, the moment you were like, I'll say this movie is, and I was like, it's going to be a fucking eight, isn't it? Eight and a half for me. I love this movie. I like I like horror movies. I really do. I think for me personally, most people probably don't think there's that much comedy into it. But like, I think there's tons of scenes you can find in horror movies that just kind of make you laugh because it's so ridiculous. I like that they're creepy. I like those creepy things. I'm into serial killer stuff. So movies like this is great. I love mysteries. Mysteries are fantastic. So for me, they have the blood, they have the gore, they have the violence, they have the jump scares. They have ridiculous shit that makes you kind of laugh because like, who the fuck thought of this? And this movie kind of encompasses half of that, if not all of that. They have the ridiculous thought process of it. So basically, my weeb session with anime is equivalent to your weeb session with serial killers. More like horror movies. I would say for me, I do really like the fact that this movie does actually give its characters, they're not just objects to be slaughtered, they actually have some growth to it. They're actually people in this movie. You think of them as people in this movie. And also, I believe that like this movie, the way that they did it, like the way they shot this movie was really well done. And the music in the background, I don't really think I even remember any of the music, but I think the phone calls were just creepy enough to make John almost shit himself. Yeah, the music, the music in this movie was really, really well done. I will at least give it that. And the suspense buildup was good. I'm not going to shit on this movie for what it is. It's just not pertains to what I like. Dan? Go ahead and rate the movie. Give me your right. uh, your highest judgment. I'm going to give my rating. Uh, this movie, to me, like, I, I'll preface this with saying I don't generally like watching horror movies. Just Oh, my kind of person. I love yeah. you, Dan. That said, it's kind of giving me a more appreciation for what the draw is to kind of feel the suspense and build up and everything. So this is kind of, like, in the middle for me a little bit. Because on the one end, I don't love this type of movie. But I think this is done really well. I think it's shot very well and it does stand the test of time. I'll give it a 6.5, mostly just because it does kind of convey this like unique, creepy feeling to me that I kind of appreciate for what it's doing, and especially considering it's a, a 70s movie. Okay. Um, that is a very good rating. I really want to say I apologize. To me, this movie hurt me physically when I watched scenes. It was cringy. It was, at the same time, they tried to make this elusive, terrifying thing. To me, like, it, it made me physically ill. Like, I actually felt sick while watching this. That I've It's very few movies that I will just hate that much. This is, Nadine, my first and only one as of right now. <laughs> I did not like this movie. No, If you tie me to a fucking chair and put me in hell... And make me watch this movie on repeat. <laughs> you might actually torture me. Like this was pain. Um, there was a lot of redeeming qualities of this movie. Um, there was a lot of iconic scenes. There was a lot of good things about this. Hell, even the piano piece that was played was really nice to hear. But for you know, at its core, it's a horror movie. It made me physically ill watching it, and I did not feel comfortable. And honestly, I wouldn't even wish this on my fucking favorite enemy. So this is definitely a one, and it will stay that way. Surf Nazis Must Die was not as bad as this. Can, can I just ask, if it has redeeming qualities, how is it a one? <laughs> because otherwise I would have rated it lower. <laughs> All right. The redeeming quality 
is that I would st- I'm still in this podcast watching this crap, okay? I would have been like, all right, guys, pick another movie. I'm not rating this one. This one's a zero for me. This is the worst movie I've ever seen. But, like, my alcoholic tendencies actually max with Max. So, like, Mrs. Max. So I at least appreciate her. Brought, wait till we get to the Puppet Master. <laughs> wait till we get to the Puppet Master. Uh, it's starting to seem it's starting to seem like if it's a, <laughs> if it's a cringy horror movie that actually affects me, it's gonna be a one. So we're gonna have a lot of ones <laughs> if we go through horror movie month again. Oh my god. Because like when we talked about horror movie last horror movie month last time in October, it was bearable because the horror movies you guys gave me were actually like not only horror movies, but ingenuitive in some way. This I, is I, just the beginning of fucking slasher films, which in my opinion are terrible movies. In all honesty, though, I, I do think this is probably the first true horror movie we've watched. Yeah, it's straight up horror, I would say this is the first real one. Because I would say yeah. that American Psycho is supposed to be like a thriller, horror. Yeah, but I've also heard that movie's got a bit of comedy in it. Like actual, like, it's funny supposed shit to shit comedy, right? Yeah, it does. Like, there's definitely some comedy into it, too. Army of Darkness was comedic horror. And then... Blair Witch Project actually was technically considered a horror movie, but it was like a home movie horror movie, and it's not like the ones that you see today. I would still consider it straight up horror, but like if you're talking classic horror, this is probably the first true one we've watched. This is the godfather of the cliche genre of slasher. I hate slasher, and of all the movies you can make me watch, slasher films are the worst. So... To have it be the godfather of it, I mean, I'm sorry. There's nothing lower than a one for me. Well, you know what? We're going to watch Vertigo um, at some I, point, and I think you'll really love that movie. So, Well, I don't know, Nadine. We'll see until that point, and then I'll prove you wrong with another one. Um, all right, boys, girls, is it or isn't it? Dan, go ahead. Yes, I think this is absolutely cult classic, and for just the fact that Miss Mac is a hero. Like a legend. Miss Mac is like Miss Mac just... it, I want her to be my mother. Like that's how much I love her. Love her. So yeah, I absolutely agree with you. Like I, I just think this movie does have to be a cult classic because like it's it's not a movie everyone would just gather around and watch. It's a movie like you have to really love to As seen by the ratings. Yeah, <laughs> like... Um uh Dan, I will I will say this. I absolutely fucking agree with you. This is the literal definition of a cult classic. It did decent in the box office, but was banned like some book in the Scholastic uh, Library back in elementary school. This is one of those like movies you watch, and you're like, why was this gotten rid of, you know? And on top of that, this is the granddaddy of slasher. So, like, yeah, this is this is a cult movie, and I've never been so sure of it in my life. Nadine? I mean, clearly, this is a cult movie. This is a movie... When the remake came out, which the remake, don't get me wrong, it it was a shit movie and they did get rid of a lot of things that made this movie fantastic and then only kept the things that became most popular with it. They added to the story to it a little bit too. People who love this movie a lot do like the new movie, not because they actually like it, but because of the story building that they put into the remake for it. The book too. I never got my hands on it, but if my ass could, I totally would. A same concept. Like, if you really love this, the original, the 1974 movie, you're either read the book when it was in print, or you want to read the book because you like it, because it gives more interest, 
more story to the background to the killer and the people in the movie and things like that like you're into it so like for sure like there's a definite following for this and i'm i'm one of those people yeah all right um final little segment here before we end the podcast unfortunately would we recommend it i will go ahead and start here and fuck no absolutely not no dan um for if if you're looking for a horror movie yes i would recommend this movie i think it is a, a good well, would you recommend it to anyone to anyone yes yes i would recommend this movie i, think I hate it, you i hate you both <laughs> i think it actually is palatable enough and you can watch this movie and just kind of appreciate the kind of creepy vibes it gives off it's not over the top where like you're you're seeing any water guts or anything there's no crazy jump scares like it's not jarring but if you actually watch it it's kind of a cool creepy story Okay, Nadine? So, I would say, yeah. <laughs> obviously. Duh, obviously. I, I mean, I love horror movies, so it's hard for me to say no to recommending them. I mean, like, I force Dan to watch horror movies all the time. I know he's not, like, the biggest fan of them. You poor fucking person, Dan. <laughs> I just love horror movies. Like, I grew up watching horror movies, so this is just, it just hits all the right places. It makes just a little happy, warm place for me. Bad day, watch a horror movie. Bad day, put this movie on. So yes, I would I would recommend. Okay, well that's the inverse of me. <laughs> Am I having a good day and I want a bad day? Put on a horror movie. Like that's that's me. So okay, that's the complete opposite of me. Um, all right, well Nadine, this movie broke me in a lot of ways. Let's just end it. Okay. So if you guys have any movie recommendations or want to talk about movies with us, you can find us on Facebook through our private group Snazzy Podcast, which is spelled S-N-A-S-Y, or you can find us at Snazzy Podcast on Instagram, or you can email us at she's not a slut yet at gmail.com. I think we're going to try over the Christmas break to do a YouTube channel for the podcast as well, because I know there's listeners who don't like using the podcast apps and would prefer doing it on YouTube, so heads up that's coming at some point and if you guys like what you hear please rate review and subscribe it really helps us out there and have more people find us we just recently changed the title a little bit so that people actually knew this was a cult movie podcast and not a podcast about sex and it did actually jump our followers and listening not a lot but enough that we're hoping more of you guys will actually write into us because we do really want to discuss these movies. Obviously, I'm a huge cult movie fan. I'm a huge horror movie fan. So I like all this kind of like B-rated movie. Honestly, I just got I just got whored into this podcast because they wanted to see my terrible reaction to movies. It so really like, is. I, and I would love I, for you guys to just like... That's a true purpose of this podcast. He is a trooper. I would love for you guys to be like, John, what are you thinking? Or see what you agree with with John and what you're don't agree with with me so seriously write in we'd love to hear from you so we are doing john's movie pick next but we are not doing it until february so we don't have any movies picked so it is going to be a surprise for you guys the first movie that's picked is going to be a valentine's day movie more than likely so like we're gonna have to pick something a little bit romantic but is that the movie i think it is i think you're i think it's probably gonna end up being like the princess bride or something like that but. yes <laughs> finally finally god save the queen i finally have a good movie but we're not gonna make a guarantee oh. for that it's john's pick john are you picking the princess bride 
I don't know. I guess we'll find out. Okay, I guess we'll find out. It's a surprise for you guys. <laughs> so until February, we hope you guys well, have a great fucking Christmas. Merry Christmas, bitches. Happy Hanukkah and any other happy New Year. whatever you celebrate. Yeah, Happy New Year. And um, we'll see you in the New Year. All right. Bye. See ya. Bye.